0: Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to the Woke and Wired podcast, where we explore how we can merge your inner technology with your outer technology. And how we can be the most woke, alive, and connected versions of ourselves in this digitally wired age, and how our inner development and our spiritual journeys can connect to and actually even fuel our success in our business. My guest this week is Dr. Molly. Dr. Molly Malouf is someone I met on a trip to Israel And the conversation we originally bonded over was actually a conversation about self-love, which is very much central to my work with Breakfast Criminals and something that her and I have in common. Dr. Molly is a physician, technologist, entrepreneur, and she is on a mission to help you guide on a path towards optimal health. She believes in expanding your health spend instead of lifespan. And I believe we touch more on that. She believes in using food as medicine. And in this episode, you will find out that she's not your regular doctor. On her Instagram, you might see that she goes to Burning Man. She advocates for using psychedelics as a tool for personal transformation. And in this conversation, we cover so many topics, from the relationship between social media and health, to her thoughts on coffee and intermittent fasting, to talking about the back end and the entrepreneurial side of being a modern day doctor who lives in Silicon Valley and advises some of the most high performing entrepreneurs and really embedded in the future of health community over the world. We talk about her manifestation process. I love that part. And we also talk about how to find healthy balance between business strategy and intuition when growing your business. And just like with any other episodes, I really invite you to listen to this information, to take it in, and know that nothing is a step-by-step process that you should follow. All of this information is here for you to absorb, And to make a decision for yourself, what resonates, and perhaps try it out. And from there on, really be with your body, be with your experience, and make decisions based on that. I am super excited to share Molly with you. If you resonate with any parts of this episode, please take a screenshot of you listening to it and tag at Wired and tag at drmolly.co. I'm going to have everything we mentioned in this episode linked in the show notes. So you will find it there on WokenWired.com. If you resonate with what you learn, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. And every month, I am giving you a 30-minute clarity session with me where you can ask me anything about entrepreneurship, personal development, social media, brand strategy, anything really. And my first winner will be announced next week. So, the very end of February 2019. I am also very excited to share that my conscious social media course is at the tail end of being done and will be released in March. So, if you want to learn more about that, you can find information on welcomewire.com as well. And in that course, I bring together the practices and the tools that I've personally used to grow multiple successful brands using social media, and share a different paradigm that really brings you into the space of infinite possibilities and harnessing the digital age when anything we want is at our fingertips. And all it takes is getting clear in your intention, sharing yourself fearlessly, and taking unstoppable action. I've done that. I know it works. And I'm excited to share with you my step-by-step process and everything that worked for me in the course. So find that on welcomewire.com or hit me up on Instagram. Enjoy this episode. Here is Molly Malouf. Okay, guys, I have Molly Malouf here, all the way from San Francisco, and I love starting by sharing how we met. And Molly and I actually went on a this wellness thought leaders trip to Israel with reality and the Schusterman foundation a couple of years ago. And we didn't really talk the whole trip until like the very last day when we were seated next to each other on the bus and ended up just going real deep real quick about health and Molly, your mission in the world and self love and body image, social media, just so many things. And we, we, have run into each other at a couple more events like that and then i just follow your life through social media watch you go to burning man advising new startup launch a podcast all the cool things you're up to and i'm stoked to be connecting with you well thank
1: you Xenia. you're wonderful and i have to say like meeting you was actually so interesting to me because you were the first sort of instagram influencer i'd ever really met in person and i didn't actually know oh. a lot about instagram at the time And so I've been so fascinated by watching your career as well because I've seen you, you know, transform and iterate and change over time. And I think you're such an incredible inspiration to people.
0: Mm, Thank you so much. And I love that you took over the Breakfast Criminals Instagram yesterday to share your morning routine. If you guys are not familiar, tune in every Wednesday into Breakfast Criminals Instagram stories because I have the coolest people in the world taking over and sharing their morning routines and different hacks and ways to optimize our lives through both mindsets and recipes. That recipe of apples with almond butter and coconut yogurt was insane.
1: Oh my God. It's my favorite thing. I swear. I make that for dessert at like brunches for people and people lose it. Mm. Because I think people can tell when things are really nourishing, like your body knows if food is good for you and people just devour that. And it's like healthy.
0: (laughs) Mm. So... What I like to do is I'm going to start by reading out your Instagram bio out loud. (laughs) That's the world we're in. Okay. And then you're you're going to explain what it is that you actually do IRL. Okay. Ready? Okay. Yeah. So drmolly.co, if you guys want to follow along, find Molly there. Dr. Molly Malouf, concierge medical doctor, head of medicine at Sano, entrepreneur, self-taught chef, and San Francisco Denizen. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is Denizen and what is Saino and what are all these things?
1: Denizen means a resident. It's just a good It's a good synonym for resident. I have an expansive vocabulary.
0: <laughs> I'm
1: a self-taught chef because cooking is my favorite hobby. And I sometimes hang out with chefs and like copy what they do. And then sometimes they think that I'm a chef. So I think I'm a pretty darn good cook. And yeah, at Burning Man this year, I cooked for like 60 people multiple times and rocked it. So, wow, I'm pretty proud of my skills in the kitchen,
0: you know, Th- that's really impressive.
1: Yeah. And then I'm also a physician in San Francisco, a private doctor, and I work with mostly executives and investors and entrepreneurs, and I help them optimize their health span, which means the number of years they have living healthy, free of disease or disability. And I believe that the definition of health is the ability to adapt and self-manage in the face of adversity. So I'm really trying to focus my entire career around making people as healthy as possible by that definition. And so I also work with startups. And one of the startups that I work with is called, it's called Sano Intelligence. And they've created a continuous glucose monitoring patch that syncs directly to your phone and it streams your bloodstream information into your phone. And it tells you about your blood sugar in real time. So depending on what you eat, we'll determine what your blood sugar looks like after meals and you can identify if you have Problems before they become full blown disease like prediabetes or diabetes.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And then what else is there? Oh, yeah. So, my personal brand is drmolly.co. And I tried to sort of start separating my brand from my practice just because I also advise a number of startups. And so, that's kind of what the umbrella goes under like all the companies I work with and all the brands that I work with and all the projects that I do that are related to the brand. Dr. Molly, that's sort of separate from the practice of Dr. Molly, which is my medicine. So it's kind of complicated, but basically my biggest passions are health, technology, and wellness. And so I'm also starting a podcast to promote and to discuss all of the different facets of my career and work and belief systems around health.
0: Wow. Okay. First of all, I'm super stoked for your podcast. You have just such a wealth of knowledge and now it's going to be available to everyone. And where I want to start is I just found out through going on your website and checking on a few media links that you quit your job as a pediatrician while you were at Burning Man or at least uh-huh. decided to.
1: It was yeah, right before Burning Man,
0: yeah. And went into digital health space during your first trip to the playa. So, what yeah.
1: Tell me more. Okay, so I don't know if you've read any of the news lately. I just actually posted this on my Instagram today, but doctors have like a two to three times greater risk of suicide than the average person, and wow. I wasn't suicidal, but I was not happy in my residency. And you know, look, I know I have ADD, and I know that that's I consider it a superpower. But one of the aspects of ADD is is rejection sensitivity, and I was kind of the black sheep of my residency program. I didn't fit in. I was constantly arguing with my attendings about how things were done. I would look at an entire floor of a hospital and see all the problems that could be changed and just bring them up to the authorities who are in charge. And they said, look, Molly, you want to change the world, but guess what? You're going to have to wait in line and it's going to take you 20 years before you have any authority in this hospital because that's what you have to do in medicine. You Mm. keep your head down and your mouth shut and you do your work. And eventually, you know, if you stick around long enough and, you know, you'll be able to do things that you want to do here, but you're going to have to wait. And I was like, this isn't right. Like, I know that medicine does not have to be just drugs and surgery. And I saw so many of my attendings with their miserable lives, frankly. And I was like, you know what? I don't want their life. And if this is what my training is preparing me for, I don't want that existence. I don't want their future. I don't want to be that kind of doctor. So I did something really risky. And frankly, I would not have been able to do what I did had I not seen examples of people who came before me who did this. But Andrew Weil, who founded the Arizona Institute of Integrative Medicine, he left his residency in San Francisco, and he started studying ethnobotany all over the world, and then started writing for High Times, and then started writing books about health and wellness, and then started his own institute. And I said, okay, if he can do it, I can do it, and I'm going to have to start somewhere. So I ended up saying to myself, okay, you got to get a job because you've got you to survive. And so I went to Burning Man and it just so happened that I was in this camp that had like massive influence in the world. Like people from Facebook and Founders Fund and Summit Series and like, you you go on, go. I mean, like I could just go on the number of groups of people that were in this camp. It was crazy. And I networked and I made friends and I found a job. And I started working as this researcher at a company, basically running a research team, analyzing the health of some of the biggest names in investing in San Francisco who wanted to understand more about their health through the lens of science. And I doubled my income. I have my work hours and and I got paid to learn how to do research. And that actually was where my practice launched from. So in the process of working for this company, I was getting my license. It took me about six months to get my license after I left my residency because... They, I had resigned from my residency after I had applied for my license, and that discrepancy was not looked upon favorably by the California Medical Board, and I got in a little bit of trouble. So I had to wait a little while, and I had to work out the details of the paperwork. But I was like, "Look, this is what happened. I wasn't. I actually didn't know I was going to resign until after I applied for my my license, and they ended up giving it to me anyway." and I also got my DEA license and so I had the power to practice medicine. And I said with this power I'm going to try to build a practice around making people as healthy as possible. Like I was like, "Well, what if you could make a practice that way that was like perfect world medicine where you spent as much time as you wanted with your patients and you basically got to do what was right for their bodies and and what was right for their futures." And it has sort of become its own movement in itself around health optimization which I'm now calling health span extension, which is what I talked about earlier in this talk and now I'm on my way to figuring out how to bring this medicine to the world that's where the next 10 to 20 years of my life are going to be
0: wow and what role do you think social media is going to play in you getting that message out there
1: you know i have been astonished by instagram and by facebook in terms of their influence on people's health and even a few years ago i was speaking dld and wired health in the uk all about how there's all these food delivery services that are available to people and what do you find out about these food delivery services that I personally use as food prescriptions and I have been using as food prescriptions for years now and you find out about these companies through Instagram because that's where they're advertising you find it, and they're and they're doing a really great job and frankly like I'm going to argue with a lot of people here I actually think Instagram advertising is awesome because they know exactly what I want they know that I like healthy food. They know that I like smoothie bowls. They know that I like granola that's made from you know plant pulp. They know I like. They they know what I like, and they send me things that are good. And I don't feel like that's a problem in the world if you are a conscious consumer and you do your due diligence on on products that are offered to you. But interestingly, one of the companies that regularly advertises on Instagram is Thistle Juice, and we are doing a small clinical study with them at Sano in January, where we're going to use the food intervention and measure the blood sugar over time over the course of two weeks and see how going from a standard American diet to a plant-based whole food diet is going to change a person's blood sugar. And like this is something I talked about years ago becoming a possibility. And I think we're actually on the cusp of truly food as medicine and food prescriptions being available to people. And I don't think mm-hmm. it would have been that possible. I don't think it would have been possible for me to even recruit for this study, to recruit people to be in the study if it wasn't for social media. So that's like two great examples of how social media is like going to change medicine. And on top of that, Facebook communities are really taking off. And I'm so excited that they're starting to put more funding and money in that direction because I think that there's a lot of people that are healing together through Facebook. And I think that Facebook could be a massive platform for for health and healing. But I was speaking to their head of, of Messenger a few weeks ago, and he said, Molly, if you could change anything about Facebook Messenger, what would you change? And I said, look, it's simple, HIPAA compliance. He's like, oh my God, that's so hard. And if you don't know what HIPAA is, it's the Health Insurance Privacy and Portability Act. And it's all about keeping your data safe and secure around your health. And the problem with Facebook right now is that people are going online and they're learning all about their health and they're talking to people. And people are sending me messages and I have to tell them, look, like Facebook isn't secure. If you want to have a talk with me, we have to schedule a call. And it's just slightly problematic for that. But I think Facebook could play a much bigger role in health if they wanted to. And I think they're lagging behind the rest of the big, big tech companies.
0: That's so interesting you bring Facebook up because it seems like the whole conversation is Instagram and YouTube. I know a lot of people are still very active in Facebook groups, especially the closed groups that are specifically around specific topics like health or entrepreneurship. But, and I know they've been implementing more tools like searching through the groups, right? but I never thought of it as something that's the future. It's interesting you say it like that.
1: Well, I've always been pretty good at foresight in when it comes to mm. tech and when I left my residency, I said to everyone, "Look, I know you guys all think I'm crazy, but there's a tsunami coming and health technology is going to take over healthcare." And whether you guys like it or not, it's going to change everything. And you're all going to be behind if you don't get on if you don't go surf this wave now because I'm going to go surf this big wave. And they were all like, "You're nuts, you're crazy." And then you know what a few years later Apple's in health, Salesforce is in health, right. Amazon is in health, Facebook is in health. Like I'm sorry but I I just do feel like people people don't totally get how much things are going to change and I'm happy that they are because healthcare is fundamentally flawed. And really what I like to call it is a sickness billing industrial complex. It's not about health at all because health is about self-management and bouncing back after you get hit with anything stressful. Whereas the healthcare system as it stands today is about managed care. So you get managed, your health gets managed by someone else. And that is not a healthy organism. That is a person that is fragile, that is breaking down and that has to be taken care of by a system that doesn't work very well to do its job. It just keeps you put together so that you're just not completely broken, but then then they get you out of the hospital as fast as possible and get you on drugs. So, you know, like it's not the way I want to age. And it's and frankly, like I've watched my grandparents age really poorly. And I'm not gonna let that happen to me. That's not gonna be my life.
0: Hmm. So a lot of people listening to this podcast are entrepreneurs, a lot of them are wellness entrepreneurs specifically. So if we wanna ride that Facebook community wave that you're talking about, what do you think some of the actions could be that we can take?
1: Well, I'm already thinking about starting to build my own community on Facebook and and they're going to start being they're going to start enabling people to charge for joining the community, like monthly fees. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, given that I charge for an initial program to start working with me thousands of dollars, it would be really advantageous for people to join a community where they only have to pay like 5 bucks a month to to interact with me. And so I'm thinking already about how do I scale my personal brand and how do I scale my influence over people? How do I keep people updated on All the things that I'm doing right now. And how do I get paid for that? And I think as an entrepreneur, you're always trying to look for new income streams. So I'm really, really, really stoked about how that's going to happen soon. And I think everyone should start thinking about their own private communities. And, you know, one of my first Facebook communities that I joined was my friend Elisa, who is this nutritionist, and she was doing a 30 day sugar cleanse. And I joined that community, and it was so amazing at how much better I did with eliminating sugar with a community of people around me. So I think for, I think most people here probably already have seen these, but maybe there are people who haven't. Like, You can really improve people's outcomes with their, the interventions that you're trying to give them by giving them a place to interact with others. And I'm currently in a fasting group with my friend Sumaya Kazi. And having a community of people that are fasting with me is making fasting so much easier because I know that I'm accountable to a group that can see my fast. Whereas like, doing it on your own, it's like so much easier to cheat.
0: Right. So fasting... Yeah. Asprey talks about it. Everyone's talking about it. It's this cool thing. But what I'm curious about, and you know, we talked about this before we started recording, is you know, a lot of these biohacking things, and I know biohacking was just added to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, so it's still a newer thing for humanity in terms of the language. But do all these things we hear about apply to women?
1: Yeah. So women have to be a particularly vigilant about their health when it comes to fasting because Our biological imperative until we had menopause is fertility and reproduction. And because of that, whether you want to have kids or not, that's what your body wants to be doing. And also, if you have children, your body's also likely feeding that child. So we are very sensitive to signals of famine and starvation, which means that our hormones can get thrown off if we're not careful. And that's why I recommend women who are fasting to both, A, make sure you know your body fat percentage before you start. A lot of women don't know their body fat percentage, and that's really key because A, where you have body fat stored, and B, the amount of body fat that you have will determine how well you fast and also whether or not the fasting is going to be beneficial or harmful to you. A person with a high visceral fat amount in their body is going to benefit tremendously from fasting because fasting in that setting of likely insulin resistance because visceral fat around your organs likely contributes to most most cases insulin resistance, which is really, really bad for your health. So women who have that problem do great with fasting, but you have to sort of become adapted to fasting in order to, to make it work for you because you tend to be slightly metabolically inflexible. And I can get into that later, but that means kind of stuck in, in either carb-burning mode or not effectively switching between... Carbohydrates and, and fats effectively. So, in those cases, it can be difficult for people to go over 24 hours because in 24 hours, you deplete what's called your glycogen stores. That's your carbohydrate stores. And you can hit a wall and not feel great. So, I recommend that women, even if they are confident that they're going to be able to fast effectively, it's always good to ease into it. So, to start with something like a 14 hour fast. And then, when you can do that effectively, going into the 16 hour fast. And then, if you can do that easily, go to like a 24 hour fast, then 24 hour fast. Up to something like a 36 hour fast, um, which I'm doing twice a week right now. Which is, you know, I am wary that it will affect my hormones, so I'm starting to measure my my hormones right now through different apps like Clue and Glow. But then I also have a few fertility monitors that I need to turn on. One is a temperature monitor you you use every morning that syncs to your phone via Bluetooth, and the other one is a wrist worn monitor called Ava. So I'm in the process of starting to connect these dots because i believe that it's really really important for women who want to be fertile not to impair their fertility through excess fasting which leads me to my second point in that if women have low body fat and they start fasting and they drop too low they can stop their period and i've seen this happen with women especially who go ketogenic and then they add fasting to the regimen what happens is you're sending the signal to your body that you're in a starvation mode and if you're in a starvation mode your body says to you, I'm not going to reproduce because I need to stay alive. And it will prioritize survival over reproduction. So you know, ketosis is a survival mode mechanism. And this is why I think it's really important for women to understand that even if you are losing weight effectively on a low-carb diet, if you get stuck with too low of leptin levels, when leptin is a hormone that helps you understand where your fat stores are, if your leptin levels go too high, that's problematic. And that usually happens in obesity and leptin resistance. But if it goes too low, that means you're sending a signal to your body that you're starving. And then your body is going to not actually be able to lose weight effectively. And so I've actually seen this in a, in a recent friend of mine who sent me her labs. And she said, look, I'm doing intermittent fasting. I'm doing low-carb dieting. And I should be losing weight. Why am I not losing weight? What are my labs telling me? And I looked at her labs. Her labs look pretty good. Her cholesterol is a bit too high, which means she needs to go lower on the fat. And she actually needs to up her carbs. And the reason why this she needs to up her carbs is that carbohydrates are a signal of, of abundance. In the environment, you see more carbohydrates grow in the summertime. You see more plant, like if you think about a harvest season, it's not a bunch of fat in the environment, it's a bunch of carbs in the environment. So if you want to put your body into harvest season, you need to up your carbohydrate consumption. And, and by carbs, I mean low glycemic, whole food carbs, not refined carbs, not sugar. So in her case, I told her to do that. And I think she's going to actually find that her body's going to be sent the right signals and she'll probably find her body responding to exercise better. And I'm going to be excited to see how she turns out. And you know, this is something that I'm digging really, really deep into because I think that we're really missing first principles of metabolism in the common knowledge world. And everyone's kind of obsessed with macronutrients and fat and carbs. And they're not thinking enough about why. Why do these things
0: happen in the body? Hmm. So speaking of why, what are... The benefits that you're expecting to experience doing the fasting that you're personally doing.
1: Well, I started doing research into fasting because I was under the impression that maybe in society we have a overnutrition problem and a fasting deficiency that's leading to chronic disease. That's my thesis: is that there's too much food in our environment. We're not designed as creatures to have food available. In fact, most of our evolutionary biology is still set in the primitive times, and it's telling us that what we really should be doing is we should be going back and forth between feeding and fasting. Problem is, is we're feeding, 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 feeding. We're wearing out our mitochondria. We're you know, producing too much inflammation in the gut from the wrong things that we're eating. We're generating too much exhaust, which is reactive oxygen species, ROS. And all of this is contributing to disease, diseases like diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, autoimmunity, and cancer. So I have a family history of autoimmunity, of cancer, hypertension, high cholesterol. And I was reading all about fasting and I was like, whoa, fasting reverses all of them. Fasting improves all of them. Fasting reduces the risk of all of them. And it, it just like completely hit me in the face. I was like, all I need to do is fast more often. Like that's the easiest thing I could possibly do. It means I just have to do something, like I do nothing. It means I just eat less, less often. I was like, whoa, okay, so I need to learn everything I can about this. So I read this book called The Complete Guide to Fasting by Jason Bung. Started reading blog posts, started writing notes, started creating my own system. Started, I read like 50 papers on fasting this summer. And I started like, I know, right? And like, I started um, experimenting. And I found that the more I fasted, the lower my fasting glucose became. And I started combining this with weightlifting, and I went from having a fasting glucose in the 90s, which some people believe is actually too high, to having a fasting glucose in the 70s. And that's like 20 points difference. And like I was super, super stoked about this.
0: So first of all, if someone is curious about trying this out, not sure where to begin, would you just recommend increasing your window between dinner and breakfast, like taking a 14-hour fasting break?
1: Actually, you would think that I would say that, but in fact, the real thing that I would tell people is actually something different. Before you even begin fasting, you have to become more metabolically flexible and you need to start feeding your body the right fuel. And the problem is is that most people are still eating packaged processed foods and refined carbohydrates and refined sugar. And at the end of the day, we all need to realize that these are drugs. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I take these drugs. (laughs) But I don't do it very often because they are legitimately drugs like sugar and flour and pies and pastries and soda. These are drugs that people are on and you have to reprogram your mind to live on normal food if you want to have a better metabolism and be able to fast effectively. And the problem if you don't do this is that when you first start start fasting, you're going to find yourself oftentimes insulin resistant, And so, a lot of these people would get super hangry when they begin to fast. Right. And then they they reach whatever they can find, and usually it's convenience food. So if you don't prepare adequately by getting on a whole food type diet, which which frankly, like I'm not the biggest fan of Whole 30, but I do tell people to try it at least once because almost everybody in the world would benefit from an elimination diet at least once in their life. So trying a Whole 30 for a month is actually a much better route to take before trying intermittent fasting. Once you're on a whole food diet, then you can start extending your window. But you got to reprogram your brain to understand normal pleasure signals from normal food and to reduce the hedonic cycling around the dopaminergic system of your brain. The part of your brain that is constantly trying to seek hyperpalatable foods that are um, hijacking your your brain and getting you to overconsume.
0: Wow, that makes sense. I've never done Whole30, but I did the clean program a couple of months ago and that was just so life-changing and it was mind-blowing to see how in 21 days my body got completely rewired. I stopped craving coffee. I stopped craving kombucha.
1: Oh my God. I really do need to stop drinking so much coffee. I know it's a problem. (laughs) How do you drink yours? I drink cold brew that I make myself. And then I also make my own um, nut milk. So I make like almond pecan milk. Yeah. I used to use maple syrup, but now I just use like monk fruit or stevia.
0: Okay, Molly, I have a request for you. Yeah. I know you're getting into podcasting, and I don't know if you have any plans for YouTube, but I'm requesting that you make a video, what Molly eats in a day. Oh, sure. All right. Yes. I'll with do it. Your milk recipes with your brew tricks. Yeah. Everything.
1: I will so do it. And it definitely is different almost every day, depending on when I'm fasting or not. But I did go through a pretty heavy period of smoothie bowls last year. And I do have like a badass recipe for like the most ultimate smoothie bowl. I swear it's like, oh I, it's like a, it's like so good. And then I got into like uh, those apples that I showed you, those right. like hippie apples. Because to me, it's like if I can eat breakfast that feels like dessert, but actually is superfoods, like I'm super happy about that. <laughs> and, but you know, because like I am a hedonist. I'm like I am a hedonist, but like I also like really healthy food, so I'm like always searching for nutrient density. That's my biggest goal. And then I got into the autoimmune paleo diet for a little while because I had a bunch of clients that were for like, for that autoimmunity and I wanted to help them. So I wanted, to, I wanted to empathize with them. So I started experimenting with like salmon and avocado and like I would make this great grain free bread from, you know, hazelnut or almond flour that was pretty high in fat. And I was doing a lot of keto, ketogenic eating for a little while last year, but that's what I would do then with those. And then I would make like lacto-fermented veggies. Now I've been, what have I been doing? I mean, Sometimes I'll just have my, my cold brew and, and nut milk that I'll make, but what else do I got? And then, you know, like I sometimes people send me products and I'll like experiment with new new things. And I recently made like a protein cookie that tasted pretty darn good. Hmm. But it was pretty high in calories, so it was easy to overconsume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but everything honestly, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I shouldn't be so arrogant, but I'm pretty arrogant about how good I am in the
0: kitchen. <laughs> Girl, the world needs to see it. We need to publish your recipes.
1: I know I need to make videos. I'm gonna start doing videos for you. Just make, because like yes. you're right. Totally right. And a video is where everything is going. Exactly. I do make a really mean hash if it's a brunch. I'll make I made like a sweet potato hash for my Burning Man camp and they lost it. They just
0: completely lost it. So Okay, we're gonna start by publishing then, your yeah. smoothie bowl recipe on breakfastcriminals.com and we'll link it in the show notes. Cool. And then we'll see. Maybe we'll co publish in recipe ebook or something. I love that. I love that idea. It. Anyway, I want to shift gears from food to mindset. So you went yes. to Burning Man and you came mm-hmm. out of it with a new job, double your salary, half the hours. What was your intention when you were going into it? What were you calling in? What were you creating at the time?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I hadn't told my parents that I had left my residency and I had been crying to my psychologist for weeks about the fact that I was doing this. I was like, they're going to kill me. They're going to totally, they're going to disown me. They're going to think that I'm a big failure. And she's like, no, they won't. They won't nearly think that this is as bad as you think it is. And, and I was like, you don't understand my parents. <laughs> and turns out that when I finally told them that I was leaving my residency, it was worse than the psychologist ever thought it could be. Like my parents lost their minds. But luckily, I, had, I could tell them I had a job. So the, here's the thing. There's two places in the world that I go if I want to manifest like faster than, than the, my normal rate. And those places are Esalen Institute and Black Rock City. I have found that the energy and the land in these places is like something out of a different planet. Like and literally these places look like a different planet. Like Esalen is like the opposite of Black Rock City in that it's the most fertile soil you've ever experienced on the cliff of Big Sur filled with... It's literally where, one of the, where, where the hot springs, cold springs, and ocean meet. And there's not that many places in the world like that. And it's literally like the plants grow like double normal size. And there's like tons and tons of vegetables growing in the garden. It's just pure fertility everywhere. And the opposite of that is, is Black Rock City where there's like nothing growing. It's completely inhospitable to life. But there's something about the energy in these places where whenever I go there and I set my intention to create something in my life, it happens way faster, like way faster. And so... I said to myself, okay, I'm going to Burning Man. I know the people in my camp are going to be awesome and I'm going to meet everyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and I also knew that this guy that was going to be in my camp would be giving a talk. And so I was like, I'm going to go to his talk and I'm going to make eye contact with him and I'm going to know he's going to know that I'm there to support him. And that's exactly what happened. And we bonded, we connected. And next thing I knew, I was hired. So it was pretty rad how it happened. And like recently, I went to Esalen Institute last weekend. And I'm also going through another sort of shift in my life where I'm going through a sort of expansion phase and I'm I'm looking to create even bigger impact than I'm doing Me today. Me too.
0: And I'm feeling so strongly. For the past seven days, I'm feeling stronger than ever. Yeah. I don't know. What's your sign, by the way? Leo. Okay.
1: Like, I don't know totally about astrology right now, but I know that Mars is an Aquarius and I, I'm an Aquarius. And all I know is that Mars energy is like out there right now. Mm. And... It's super, super powerful. And it's like, it's like I have an extra fire under my ass. Like mm. it's so awesome. So I went to Esalen and I was with this insane group of people, like the last two visits I went there. And I've been like talking about my purpose and my mission. And I gave a lecture on health span and I've just been like completely connecting with the, the kind of influential people that I need to build the kind of future that I want for healthcare. And so it's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm telling you guys, like, if you want to manifest more effectively, there's a few places on earth you gotta go and you gotta try Esalen Institute in Big Sur in Black Rock City. They, they they really have changed my life.
0: So do you have a manifestation process? Do you write things down? Do you think them? What do you do?
1: Yeah, I, I do. do. The first thing I do is I've always really appreciated the Getting Things Done book. If you haven't read that book yet, I have like a one page summary that I can post on on my yes, page at some point where yeah, I'll, I'll get it. Let's remember to write that down because mm-hmm. basically, the key to any process that you're trying to actualize is write out all your thoughts. And so, I write all my thoughts out. I've been I've written them all out in in paper journals, in Evernote, in a Word document. I'm just writing all this stuff down so I can post it later. And then, so getting it all on paper or online, getting your thoughts out because you're they're going to come to you. And they're going to come to you in the moment. And I'm always taking notes when I'm socializing because I, I consider socializing to be like in some ways part of my work <laughs> because sometimes when your life is changing and you need to network, you go out and you're socializing is like you're creating what's happening next. So putting yourself in the environment of influence. So putting yourself in places where you're going to be interacting with people who can move needles for you. And then the next thing I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be mapping out my resources. And by resources, it's like, I've got eight years of social capital that I haven't spent yet. So I need to write out like, what does my network look like? How can these people help me? What do I need to do to connect with all these people? And they really, the key to any type of outreach is asking questions and and asking for advice rather than asking for needs, like asking for funding or asking for like, can you do this for me? It's more of, hey, I really need to talk to you about something. I could use your advice. You're really smart. Because... That now, now they want to help you, okay? Right. And so really, it's about getting your thoughts out, putting yourself in the right environment, mapping out your resources and the people in your community that can help you. And then the real, real key is meditation. You need to find yourself in a very, very low stress moment where your true feelings can come out, where you're no, there's no anxiety. There's no sense of urgency. You have to have decision-making power in a state of calm. And so meditation... And giving yourself like thirty minutes to an hour a day of meditating during a time of your life that where things are changing will help the real truth to come to you. If you make decisions based off of stressful a stress state, like it's not gonna be a good decision. It's gonna be a decision based off of survival and fear. And you should never act out of survival and fear. In fact, like I kind of had to before when I was going to Burning Man because I didn't actually have a job, but even now, like I've learned that I don't have to live in that state. Like that was how I was operating then, but I've transformed in the last seven years. So I don't need to come into my life from a perspective of fear anymore. I flip that switch and turn fear and anxiety into energy and excitement. And I, you know, what we should do is we should, um, I should, there's this app called Temi. We should have this transcribed. So I have to take notes. But yeah, like basically this process is far more likely to lead you into the direction of where you're really meant to be and what you really want to do and what you would be doing if your body felt in flow. The other thing I would say is like really trying to think about what does the world need? What do you have to offer? And what are you going to get paid for? That that sort of trifecta is always been interesting to me. And what is your like major, like definite major purpose in life? And like, that's actually where everything needs to begin. And I have in the last 10 years been really weaving my way more and more and more towards health span as my definite major purpose, extending the health span of humanity. And that came from my experience as a medical school where I was really unhappy and really burned out and really just not sure if, if medicine was right for me. And I changed my lifestyle dramatically over the course of nine months. And my test scores improved. My performance got better. I became happier. I just rocked my board exams. And I realized in that moment that like my purpose was really about teaching that there is science to lifestyle medicine. There's science to living a healthier life. And we'd all be accomplishing more if we took better care of ourselves. So, you know, f- scrambling and freaking out and like feeling stressed it, it, when your life is changing and you're, and you're manifesting new things, that, that that's not the way to the right future. That's the way to getting a security job, like a job that'll pay the bills. That's fine. And I've had those. But you should always be striving towards something greater than that. You should always be striving towards something that really is deeply aligned with your purpose. And frankly, not everybody gets to have this life. This is a far harder life than doing what's expected of you and then doing what the world thinks you should do. It's actually a lot more work and it's a lot more of a struggle. But I would argue that there's a much, much bigger rewards and it's far more fulfilling in the end.
0: But at the same time, it, yeah, it's definitely more difficult. But I, from my experience, it doesn't feel that way. You know, even the nights when I've had to work really late or work weekends, because it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel hard. So the question that comes up pretty much in every episode that I would love to hear your thoughts about is this balance between strategy and intuition. So, you know, with your manifestation process, you write things out, you map everything out, you meditate, connect to your purpose, talk to people. And, and then where do you take it from there? What actions do you take? Do you rely on systems and strategy? Or is it more about being in the right place at the right time?
1: I'm going to give a really controversial answer to this because I'm a controversial person. Like I'm a big believer that psychedelics are medicine and they're not just medicine for people who are depressed and have PTSD and are dying, but they're medicine of life. And because of that, I believe that they are tools for transformation. And a lot of people turn to things like ayahuasca when they're finding that their lives are changing and they need to process. Ayahuasca is not my favorite psychedelic because I don't really enjoy the process of the purge. But I do believe that small doses of psychedelics can help you come to terms with what's really right for your life. And when I was leaving my residency, I had a pretty profound psychedelic experience that enabled me to see my entire existence, including my birth and my death. And because I felt the entirety of my life all at once, it's a pretty trippy experience to have to, to know that you're, you know, what it's like to feel dead and you know what it's like to feel like you've lived your full life and you're looking back on it. When I did that, I was able to see that I was living for others and that I was like really not not living for my own, for for what was right for me and i was like this is my life this is my existence and you know you don't necessarily need psychedelics to get to this point like i've gone to meditation schools and learned how to meditate to get the exact same place that i got through psychedelics but psychedelics are like liquid meditation so soon they will be medicine they are risky it's hard to get good quality you have to know where you're getting them from but they are in phase 3 clinical trials so soon they will be available for doctors to prescribe in clinical settings but point i'm trying to make is that whether you go through meditation or whether you go through psychedelics like it's really important to look at the entirety of your life and literally imagine that you're dead and that you're looking back and ask yourself what would you be doing differently now if you could have done things differently and there's a great book called the five regrets of the dying
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's a bunch of things that people would have done differently and one of them was not work so much <laughs> in fact like i i work a lot but I am not overly stressed out like I was when I was in medical school because I actually like work out twice a day and I meditate once a day, once or twice a day. I mean, I cook food. like I do all these wellness activities and I work as a doctor and a consultant and I'm doing a podcast and I'm like, I do a lot of things, guys. Like, <laughs> I do it because I have such good self-care and all these things are adding up to better performance. But at the end of the day, like, this is a life that I have designed for myself and i wouldn't have had the balls to design this life that really serves me and selfishly creates what's best for me if i hadn't experienced some transformational shifts in my in my brain through different psychedelics.
0: Mm. It's so interesting you bring this up because i went to see Dennis McKenna speak last night mm-hmm. in person, which i was like this is a once in a lifetime possibly experience and i'm going to go see yeah. him and he was saying exactly what you're saying. And really uh, yeah. Yeah, it was meant to be. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Thank you. The one thing he also brought up is that it's awesome that psychedelics are going through clinical trials and they are on the verge of being prescribed by doctors. But the issue that he pointed to is that for them to be prescribed in a clinical setting, there needs to be something clinically wrong with you. When in fact, people who are not clinically experiencing issues can benefit from psychedelics just as much.
1: Well, okay, so let's get real. This is how it gets approved, but there is always off-label use. Mm. And ketamine-assisted psychotherapy is currently off-label treatment for depression. So I went to a conference two weeks ago in Austin called the American Society of Ketamine Physicians, and I learned all about ketamine as medicine. I learned all about doctors using this for pain, for addiction, for depression, for PTSD, for end of life anxiety, for eating disorders. And I was like, whoa, this is nuts. This is so exciting. And I learned that, you know, basically what I'm trying to develop is pr- systems and protocols for my own practice that are basically going to be in place so that when psilocybin and MDMA are available, I can develop protocols for people that can give them the right medicine for the right problems that they're trying to solve. And frankly, like I would love to build a center someday that was kind of like the Hoffman process, but with psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy instead of just group therapy. Mm. Because I think that there's, there's an obvious role for these in optimizing health. And in particular, in with ketamine right now, there's evidence that suggests in animals that if you give an animal, like a, a rat, um, a serious dresser stressor that would cause them to get PTSD. But before you give them that stressor or right around the time you give them the stressor, you give them a dose of ketamine, it can actually prevent PTSD from developing. So I'm a big believer that this might be preventive psychiatry in the future.
0: Wow. That's profound. Yeah. Okay. I know we got to rip up soon, but another topic I want to get into is with all the things you do, how do you stay sane and put together. I'm hearing you like rituals or tools you can recommend to that you use to keep it all together.
1: I mean, the first is I don't commute. <laughs> so, I'm really lucky that I I walk to I walk to I mean, anywhere I work, I walk to it. That helps a lot. The other rituals are I get my produce delivered to me by this company called Imperfect Produce, and I believe that getting tons and tons and tons of fruits and vegetables in my diet, mostly vegetables but a little bit of fruit. I believe that like vegetables are my superpower. And if I could tell everybody like one thing to get right about their diet, it's just definitely increase your vegetable intake because I'm feeding my microbiome every day with tons and tons of fiber. And I'm actually trying to get even more fiber in my diet because I want a healthy microbiome so I have a healthy brain. These seem obvious, but like it's totally takes work to get more vegetables in your diet. You have to really strategize and think about how to do this. So I prepare veggies on the reg. I also... What else do I do? I mean, I don't go, I don't do a lot of errand run. Like I I have everything delivered to me. So it's, I have Amazon deliver all my pantry items and I like have my vegetables delivered to me. And if I, I'm not eating a lot of meat right now, I'm doing a plant-based month. But when I do eat meat, I stock up on the highest quality meats possible, like wild game and wild fish. And I just, you know, only buy like once or twice a year and I'll put it in my freezer. So like getting your diet right and getting the best possible fuel in your body is like fundamental. Mm. I also, you know, I work out if I can once or twice a day, really almost, and even when I'm fasting, I'll I'll try to do a little bit of exercise.
0: Okay. That sounds crazy. Can you please explain?
1: Yeah. So I'll do like a half an hour of weightlifting in the morning and then I'll do an hour and 15 minutes of yoga in the evening. And I'll try to do, I'll definitely get one or the other every day. Some days I get both, but I don't get them both every day. If that's a really good day. I walk to work. So, and then sometimes I run to work with my backpack on. As free free exercise, because I think backpack running is like kind of unsung, easy way to get more resistance training and and like higher intensity cardio in your life. If I can walk as much as possible, like that's my goal. I definitely would like to get more steps in. I think I get on average like seventy five hundred steps a day. It's not enough. I stand at work. I don't sit, so I try to take every opportunity I have to move, but. I also work out in where, where things are really convenient. So my yoga studio is across the street and my, I have these things called power blocks in my apartment. And so, and I have band bands, like resistance bands. So the company that I work with in terms of my, my workouts is Mind Pump. And they have these, they've like, you do a resistance training workout every day, but you only have two max three really hard resistance workouts a week. And then in between that, you do these band workouts that are like five exercises. So you're always sending the signal to your body that you're you're building muscle and my body definitely responds the best to that program. I have a big giant mirror in my bedroom and I track my weight and my exercise and then the date on that mirror so I can actually see what I've done. I track everything through through different apps so I might I have a connected scale. What else do I do? Um I think everything is just about routines and habits and preparation, mm-hmm. you know, like the beginning of the week, I make sure I have coffee and, and and nut milk ready. I you know usually make that once a week, and then I try to have a few different veggie options in my fridge, like to reach for if I need any food.
0: And there's a fine line, right, with the mirror tracking. I feel like people who do come from a history of eating disorders or anything like that, that can become obsessive. So, how do you recommend keeping that healthy?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, part of it was because I was getting ready for Burning Man and I was like extra vigilant, but. I really just track my weight through my scale. It does it for me. And then I just keep it, keep an eye on it. And then I'm also, you know, I'm fasting with Sumaya. So like, I don't, I do really do, like, I check in with my family regularly about my life. And my sisters are always like, Molly, I just want to make sure you're not going into eating disorder territory. And I'm like, don't worry, I'm fine. But I do think it's really important to have accountability partners with any any shifts because you don't want to do any of this stuff alone. And that, that's why I joined the fasting group with Sumaya because I really wanted to have people to do this with. I also really really believe that like fitness should be fun. And so I hang out with my community at my yoga studio. So like a bunch of my friends are going to yoga tonight and on Sunday. And like anytime I have an opportunity to see my friends, I really try to maximize that because it, every interaction you have with your community is like building your your stress resilience into your lifestyle. And like your community is, is what you need to be able to bounce back when something really terrible hits you. And if you don't have a strong community, then if something really bad happens and you're all by yourself and you isolate yourself, which by the way, I used to do when I was younger, that's not healthy. And you need to be able to ask for help and you need to be able to get vulnerable with people. And the only way you can do that is if you form close relationships. Right. So I'm a big, big believer in like making fitness fun. And like, a lot of times I'll tell people they want to meet with me, like come to my yoga class. Like we'll meet up. We can go to tea afterwards. But like, if you really want some FaceTime with me, like make it fit within my schedule. And so I don't do a lot. I actually really say no to most meetings and I almost always make things phone calls because in-person time is so sacred that like it's completely reserved for only people who have an agenda that is actually worth pursuing. I think a lot of people waste way too much time in FaceTime meetings. And They're like wasting their life going to and from meetings when really they should be mostly doing phone calls. And then if it's worth meeting, then they meet. But I learned this from some of my friends a few years ago. And I was like, I think that was pretty game changing for my sanity. And the other thing that was, was staying on top of my email, but not being a slave to my email. Mm. I think a lot of people are slave to email. And I sometimes let my email slip for a few weeks and I only check the most important pressing things that are in there. And sometimes it gets up to like 100 unread emails and then there's like, but I'll get through all the important ones. But like I prioritize what's right for me, not what's right for everyone else. And the only people who get my main priorities are my patients. And everyone else is, and the companies I advise for, like those are my priorities or maybe my friends who really need me. But I'm really, 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 really selfish with my time. And here's the thing. This is different than me in my 20s. Like if you're just starting out in your career and you don't have a lot of opportunity and like you're trying to build a a reputation, then your job is to give your time away and to spend your time getting as much experience as possible. But once you have a reputation, once you have a business, once you have a career... Now your job is to say no to more. And it's like, and honestly, things flip in your 30s. In my 20s, I'm actually glad that I said yes to everything because I got tons of experience and I got tons of opportunities to my way. And and I I frankly built my reputation on it. And everything was word of mouth for me. But now I'm in a place where I have the luxury of being able to say no. And that's really, really, really powerful. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. Not being a slave to email. I think this is so important. And then also when you do take a few weeks to focus on things that are important to you and not others, not being apologetic, I think that's that's a big thing, especially for women, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: And other, I mean, well, the last thing I'm going to add is this book called the. It's called Essentialism: The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. I am so bad at this, but it is. I was at least able to give up like one consulting gig last year that wasn't that wasn't feeding me, and I really think it's important for people to like pursue less and higher quality things over time. And to try to get all the things that you do to be aligned in the in like one, one direction. Like even though I do like five different things, all of the things that I do are aligned towards health span and that's my definite major purpose. And so really focus your attention on the on your like North Star success and everything should be moving in that direction. But if there are things that like don't feel right and that feel like slightly off and that feel like, uh, oh, should I really be doing this? Is this really worth my time? You have to create principles of what will be worth your time. And principles and values are different. Values are things that you li- that you live by, right? Like I have a bunch of values on my website and I like really live by those. But my principles are things, are rules that I follow. Those are boundaries that I don't cross. And it's taken me a while to develop some principles of how I work. But I've learned that like if I get a bad feeling about something and it just, I've got an inclination that something is going wrong, Then I, before it goes to shit, (laughs) pardon my French, before the ship goes down, I get off the boat. And I think that that's really, really, really key. And oftentimes you can see companies about to fail before they fail. And so I've had to leave opportunities before they fall apart multiple times. And I actually have left with far better relationships with everyone I worked with at those places. And I also saved them money. And I also started getting out there and started thinking about my next gig before. Rather than like getting told that, oh, sorry, we're, we're out of money. We can't work with you anymore. You got to go find something new. I think a lot of people start, a lot of people are afraid to just say goodbye before it's time. Mm. And in fact, it's empowering to say goodbye before it's time because it'll give you more time to figure out what you're going to do next.
0: Of course, this is coming up. This is probably the biggest thing I'm working with now of really aligning and saying yes only to things that are 100% yes, that feel exciting, that feel joyful, feel on purpose with me. And Yeah, you know, I haven't always done that. So now I'm kind of fixing things that weren't aligned from the beginning. And I said yes to, and it's much easier to not get on the boat at all, even if it doesn't make any logical sense, but your gut is saying no, no. And following that. And I love that. That's what we're wrapping up with choosing things that align with you and really trusting your gut. And what an amazing conversation, Molly. I'm stoked for your podcast. Oh, thanks. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we wrap?
1: Well, I should probably let everyone know that this is probably going to go on my podcast too. So <laughs> for all those listening, you know, my, my strategy for my podcast has basically been record as much as I can, put a bunch of stuff out there. It may not be perfectly organized, but get it out there so that people have something to listen to. And then I can take them down once I have more structure and coherence. So everyone who's listening, I really appreciate if you would be forgiving for my first few episodes.
0: (laughs) And if you guys are inspired by any part of this episode, or if you want the resources, I'm going to have all the show notes on WokenWired.com with all the links to all the books that Molly mentioned. And if you're inspired by the conversation, share your takeaways, take a screenshot and post it on your Instagram stories and tag at WokenWired and tag at DrMolly.co. And thank you for tuning Co. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, leave a review and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com and connect with me on Instagram at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired and have an incredible day.